Tonight's reading is taken from Romans 7, verses 1 to 12. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, Uni Church. It's great to be back with you this evening. I want to begin by asking you a question. Is Christianity all about rules? It can certainly seem that way, can't it? Uh, that's what religions are, aren't they? Lists of rules that people follow. In fact, the word religion comes from the Latin word religio, which means obligation. So it's pretty natural for us to think that if something is a religion, it's about following rules. And as we look at other religions around the world, they seem to be about rules too. To be a good Jew you have to keep kosher, which means you, you can't eat unclean foods. You have to keep the Sabbath, which means you can't do any work at all on a Saturday. To be a good Muslim, you have to perform five acts, often called the five pillars of Islam. You have to say the words that you believe in Muhammad and Allah. You have to pray five times a day. You have to give to charity. You have to fast, and you have to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca. And of course, Muslims have their own rules about what is clean and unclean food, what they're allowed to eat. And these, this idea of rules getting us to God sort of makes sense, doesn't it? If there is a God who made everything, He would probably expect us to live up to a certain standard. And so it sort of makes sense that we think that in order to get to God, or even just to get on God's good side, we have to follow a certain set of rules. Interestingly, even religions that don't believe in a personal God, Buddhism, for example, 
has a list of rules that every good Buddhist must live by. The religions of the world are all about rules. And so, I want to ask you again, is Christianity all about rules? If this is your first time joining us at Uni Church, as Mark says, you're, you're very, very welcome. And we've been working our way through this book of Romans, this book of the Bible in, in the New Testament called Romans. And in this book, Paul, the author, he's an apostle, he's a spokesperson for Jesus. Paul has made a revolutionary claim. He's made an unbelievable claim. He has claimed that the way that we can have access to God is not by following rules. In chapter 3, uh, verse 19 of Romans, he says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. In verse 28, a few verses later, he says, a person is justified, that's made right in God's sight, a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. For a Jew, which Paul was, for a Jew in the first century, this was an outrageous thing to say. Because you see, the Jews in Paul's day were absolutely convinced that in order to be made righteous, to, in order to be in God's good books, in order to be declared right, good in God's sight, you had to keep all of the laws of the Old Testament. They believed that keeping this law was the only way anyone could ever be made right with God, the only way anyone could ever have access to God. But what Paul has been arguing in chapters 1 through to chapter 6 of Romans is that that is not the case. He's even been arguing that the Old Testament, the Scriptures that these first century Jews held, up, held in such high regard, those Old Testament texts did not teach that we needed to obey rules to be made, in, to be made right in God's sight. Rather, according to Paul, the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, which he himself was writing at this point, teaches that we are not made right in God's sight by keeping the law. Rather, we are made right in God's sight by trusting in Him. Let me read you those verses again. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. A person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This has been the thrust of Paul's argument for six chapters now. And if you've been following along with Paul's argument, you're probably asking the question, well, if that's the case, can a Christian then just do whatever they like? Paul himself answers that very question in chapter 6, just before the chapter that we're looking at. And he says there that a Christian should not sin. And that means sin means breaking God's law, making their own personal standards, the ultimate standard, their own law to live by. Paul says the Christian should not sin because, verse 21 of chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. Sin is destructive. 
Sin is evil. Sin is everything that God is not. So, the Christians should not sin, but they're not made righteous by keeping the law. And so, the question becomes, well, how is that the case? How is the Christian free from the law? And if the Christian is free from the law, if the law was never given to make people righteous, why did God bother giving the law in the first place? Those are the two questions that the section of Romans 7 we're looking at this evening answers. That's what Romans 7, 1 to 12 is all about. How is the Christian free from God's law? And why did God give that law in the first place? But before we go any further, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help us understand His Word. And I'd love it if you prayed with me. Heavenly Father, we ask now that You would, by Your Spirit, open our eyes, ears, and hearts to see, hear, and understand what Your Word says. We ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. In my experience, Christians have one of two responses to God's law. I'm going to introduce you to two terms that sort of summarize those two positions. One is legalism, and the other is license. The Christian either thinks that the Christian either thinks that they must obey the law, legalism, or that they don't have to follow the law at all and they can do whatever they like, license or licentiousness. Let me explain that a little bit further. I'm going to introduce you to two fictional characters. The first person is George. George is over here. George is pretty conservative. George believes that if God is really going to listen to him, if God is really going to give him eternal life, he needs to live by a certain set of rules. And for George, these rules govern everything. They govern what he eats and drinks. They govern how he spends his time. They govern what causes he supports. For George, Christianity is all about keeping the rules. George is a legalist. I'm going to introduce you to a second character, and his name is Greg, and Greg's standing over here. And Greg is the exact opposite to George. Greg has been liberated. Greg believes that as a Christian, God has rescued him in Jesus. And so, because he's been rescued by Jesus, Greg is free to do whatever he likes. He can eat and drink whatever he wants. He can sleep with whoever he wants. He can spend his money whatever way he wants to spend his money because he is free. He can do whatever he likes. Greg thinks that the Old Testament and the law parts of the Old Testament especially is really just a fusty old book that's pretty irrelevant to the Christian. Greg is a New Testament Christian. Greg is licentious. He believes that he has a license to sin. If you've grown up in Christian circles, you've probably come across people like George and people like Greg. In fact, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably find yourself thinking a little bit like George or a little bit like Greg, maybe even both of them at different times. I know I certainly have. What we have here in Romans chapter 7 
is Paul's argument that both George and Greg are wrong. Let me apologize if your name is, in fact, George or Greg. I was going to go with Matthew and Mark as the two characters, but I thought that would be confusing because they're books of the Bible, and we have service leaders called Matthew and Mark, and I'm not talking about them. If, in verse 1 to 6, Paul argues against George. George is confused about how the Christian can be free from the law. And then in verse 7 to 12, he argues against Greg. Greg is confused as to why God would ever bother writing the law in the first place and what any of the law has to do with him. In other words, verse 1 to 6 is about legalism and verses 7 to 12 is about licentiousness. And for most of us, my guess is that as we read Paul's arguments, we're going to probably be more comfortable with one of those arguments rather than the other. We're going to find the argument against George more compelling, or we're going to find the argument against Greg more compelling. But the thing is, both of these arguments are true. Both of them are God's Word to us. So let's look at the first argument, that legalism is wrong. Or to put it another way, how is the Christian free from God's law? I'm going to read verse 1 to 6 again. I'd love it if you read with me. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as the person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were still in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what, was once, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You probably notice that verse 1 to 3 is really just an illustration, an image about the Christian and the law using the picture of marriage. And we know, don't we, when you get married, you make a promise, a promise before God, a promise before your community that you will love honor and serve your spouse. When? For how long? Till death do us part. But when death parts you, you are free. You're free to marry another. You're no longer bound to that promise that you made to your husband or wife. You are free. And so the Christian the man or woman who places their trust in the Lord Jesus is no longer bound by God's law. And that instinct that we have, that instinct, that need we feel to obey a certain set of rules in order to be made right with God, that instinct is not true. If you're a Christian, obeying the law will not make you right with God. 
Just as the widow is no longer bound to her deceased husband and is free to remarry, the Christian is no longer bound to the law. How was this freedom that the Christian has achieved? How did the Christian become free from the law? By death. Paul says it was by Jesus' death. Now, how on earth does that work? How does Jesus' death free us from the law? If you've been following along in this series, you might be able to remember all the way back to November. It was November the 29th, and we talked about Jesus and Adam, and how in the Bible, all of humanity were not simply represented by Adam, but they were united to Adam. They were so united to Adam that whenever Adam sinned, Adam wasn't simply sinning as a representative of humanity. He wasn't simply sinning on our behalf. Rather, humanity, we were so united to Adam that we sinned with Adam. Again, if you want to go back and think about that, look at Romans chapter 5, the second half of it, or go and watch the service from the 29th of November. Paul's point was that just as humanity were so united with Adam, to the extent that when Adam sinned, we all sinned, the Christian is so united to Jesus. Just as we were united to Adam, the Christian, the person who places their trust in the Lord Jesus, they are as united to him as we were united to Adam. So that whenever Jesus obeyed God, whenever he kept God's law perfectly, the Christian kept God's law perfectly. Through their union with Jesus, the Christian has perfectly fulfilled the law. They've never sinned through Jesus, never sinning. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. What Paul says here is that union is the exact same when it comes to Jesus' death. When Jesus died, the Christian died with him. See that in verse 4? So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. And then down to verse 6, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. And so to George, to the legalist, Paul says, you are not bound by the law. You are as bound to the law as a deceased husband is bound to his wife. In other words, not at all. So, back to our first question, the first question of the evening, is Christianity all about following rules? Not at all. The Christian is free from the law. What that means is that doing good things will never make you right in God's eyes. We are made righteous through faith in Jesus, faith in His life, faith in His death, 
faith in Jesus' obedience, not our own obedience. And as if that wasn't proof enough that the Christian is free from the law, that the law will never save someone, Paul goes on and he says the law actually arouses sin within us, that the law, God's rule, made us want to sin even more. Do you see, look at verse 5. For while we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. You see, George thinks that by following the law, he will be saved. But Paul says, no. The law doesn't make us right with God. If anything, the law just makes us want to sin even more. Because as soon as we're told, don't do this or do do that, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to disobey. The law arouses sin within us because of our sinful nature. It can never save us. You've seen those signs, haven't you, maybe at a museum that says, do not touch the display. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to touch it. That suit of armor, that stuffed animal, that painting on the wall, don't touch the display. I wonder what it feels like. Or maybe you've sat on a plane and the flight attendant announces, please ensure your electronic devices are switched off for takeoff and landing. Do you switch off your electronic devices? Well, you might, but probably only if someone is watching. You see, law makes us want to sin. Paul fleshes that out in the next session, but it's obvious, isn't it? The Christian is not under the law. The law can never make them right in God's sight. In fact, the law just stokes up sin within them. Even if they were under the law, the law wouldn't work. It could never save them because their sinful nature, my sinful nature, your sinful nature, only drives us to break whatever law we've been given. The Christian is not under the law. The Christian is not saved by good works. All of the good things you do cannot, will not, earn you favor with God. Is Christianity all about rules? No, it's not. It's unlike any other religion in the world. Every other religion tells you you must do certain things to earn God's favor. Christianity says that has already been done for you. Every other religion says you must do this. Christianity says it has already been done. There's nothing for you to do except trust that it has been done by Jesus. And so the question then becomes, if the law wasn't given to save people, if the law actually stokes up sin within us, why did God bother giving the law in the first place? And that's the second part of this passage, verses 7 to 12. Let's read them together. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. 
for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commanded, commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Again, do you see that idea that the law stokes up sin within us? Why then did God give the law? Well, the answer is right there in verse 7, isn't it? So that we would know what sin is. If you've grown up around Christians, if you've grown up going to church, you've almost certainly heard a minister say, I never had to teach my children to lie. I never had to teach my children to steal. Trevor's not here for obvious reasons, but I'm certain he will have said that at some point in a sermon to illustrate that we are sinful by nature. And that's absolutely true. We don't need to be taught to tell lies. We don't need to be taught how to steal. We don't need to be taught how to hate. We don't need to be taught how to lust. It all comes to us naturally. What we do need is to be taught that those things are wrong. We need to be taught that those things, those things that come naturally, so naturally to each one of us, are wrong. That we're all guilty of those things. And just because they come naturally to us does not mean that they're okay. I'm sure all of us are aware at this present moment that our society and the West in general is really focusing in on the sin of racism. And racism is wrong. Of course it is. It's wrong because every human being is worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. Because every human being, no matter their skin color, no matter their age, no matter their intelligence or ability, every human being is made in the image of God. And racism is sinful because it denies that shared honor, dignity, and value of other human beings. But the thing is, and this might shock you, you might not have heard this before, but I want you to bear with me. Racism is sinful, but racism is natural. You see, our brains are naturally scared and suspicious of that which is different from us that which is unfamiliar, that which is different of us. We are naturally scared, opposed to the other. Tom Oliver, who's a professor at Reading University, uh, wrote an article about this in The Independent earlier this year, and here's what he says. In pre-modern times, it made sense to be fearful of other groups. They might be violent, steal our resources, or introduce new diseases that we were not adapted to. Conversely, it was beneficial to trust those who look similar to us. They are more likely to be related to us. We are all naturally sinful people. 
we're all naturally thieves, liars, haters, even racists. We do not naturally, in and of ourselves, know that these things are selfishness, our prejudices. We don't naturally know that those things are wrong. We need to be told that they're wrong. And that's why God gave His law. Again, look at verse 7. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. God's law reveals sin for what it is. It reveals that we need God's guidance from His Word so that we know what sin is and what sin isn't, so that we know what is right and what is wrong. Our problem is that we are naturally sinful. And so without God providing a standard for us, we would not know what sin is. So let's recap. How is the Christian free from the law? They're free from the law because they died with Jesus and have been set free from the law. Why then did God give the law? Because we need the law to know what sin is. At this point, you're probably thinking, well then, Peter, how is the Christian supposed to live? Is George right or is Greg right? And that's what Paul is going to spell out in great detail at the end of Romans chapter 7 and into chapter 8. But he's already given us a hint in verse 6 of our passage. Let's read it again, verse 6 of chapter 7. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. That word serve there is so, so important. How does the Christian live? The Christian lives a life of service. And they serve in the new way of the Spirit. You see, whenever Greg hears Paul say, we do not live in the old way of the written code, he thinks, yes, I am free to do what I want. But a Christian lives to serve God and to serve their neighbors. And what that means is, is that the Christian lives a life that places God's will above their will, that places God's values above their values, places God's standard above their standard, and even the standard of the society around them. This also means that the Christian puts the needs of others above their own needs. It means putting others' rights ahead of their rights. Lots of Christians think that spiritual living is mysterious and dramatic. But Paul says that the Spirit-filled Christian is a Christian who serves later in chapter 8, we'll see this in a few weeks' time, in verse 5, Paul explicitly says 
that the Spirit-filled Christian is the Christian who sets their mind on what the Spirit desires. The Christian lives to serve God and to serve others. And God's law shows us how to do that. We see it really, really clearly in the moral law of the Old Testament. We see it in Jesus teaching an application of that Old Testament law. The Christian is someone who does good. They do it not to earn God's favor, but because they have already received God's favor in Jesus. They do not live under the law. They don't live under the law trying to earn God's favor, trying to get on God's good side. But the Christian still needs the law. They need the law to show them what is right and wrong. They need the law to show them their utter helplessness without Jesus. The law shows us what right and wrong is. The law shows us that we, in and of ourselves, could never earn our way to God. The law also shows us more of God's character, what God is like. The Christian does not live under the law, but they do need the law to understand what right and wrong is, to see their own sinfulness, and to understand more of the character of God. Now, if you're watching this evening and you are not yet a Christian, if this is your first time ever watching a church service, some of this will sound pretty strange to you. If you're not a Christian, the only thing you need to know is that Christianity is not about keeping laws. If you're not a Christian, and you've watched this far into the service, let me, be really honest, let me be honest, I'm really impressed. But let me be really clear. God is not impressed. God is not impressed by that. He doesn't want you to be religious. He doesn't need you to live up to a certain standard before He will accept you and grant you eternal life. Jesus has already lived up to that standard. All you need to do to get access to God, to be given eternal life, is to trust in Jesus. That's all you need to do. As Mark said earlier, in a few weeks we're going to be running the life course and we're going to look at what that means and how that works as simply and as clearly as possible. We would absolutely love it if you tuned in again next week, and we'd really, really love it if you did register for the life course. The link for that is beneath me now, unichur.ch life.
As always, if you do have any questions, if you're a Christian or not, please do fill out one of our Welcome to Church cards. Again, the link is beneath me at unichur.ch slash welcome. And there you can ask any question you like. If you want to push back on something, you want some clarification on something, if you have things that you would like us as a staff team to pray for, please do fill those out. Maybe you could do that during the next song that Owen's going to lead for us. But I just want you to get really, really, I want you to be really, really clear here. Christianity is not about following rules. The Christian died with Jesus. They are no longer under the law. Following the law will never make us righteous in God's sight. God didn't give the law to make us righteous in the first place. He gave us the law so that we would know what right and wrong is. He gave us the law so that we could see our own sinfulness. And He gave us the law so that we could understand more of His character. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that the Lord Jesus came and fulfilled the law even though we couldn't. He came to fulfill the law because we could not fulfill the law. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You offer us Jesus' obedience to be accepted and received by faith. Father, forgive us when we slip into legalism. Forgive us when we uh, turn our backs or reject or deny Your free gift of grace your free gift of salvation, and try to earn it from you. Father, forgive us when we slip into licentious living, when we live in a way that does not serve you and serve our neighbor, but in a way that only serves ourselves. Father, please help us by your Spirit to live lives serving you and serving each other. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.